Praise the Lord. Well, uh, this uh, Wednesday night series is a faith seminar, so we're going to start again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to, with me to that opening, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the uh, uh, Bible definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, tonight, I really had on my heart, and, and I, I don't have any outline for this, uh, uh, this series or, or um, schedule of what I'm planning to teach at one time or another. I'm just trying the best I know how to do to, to be led of the Holy Ghost from service to service. And so the thing that I have in my heart tonight to share with you is about hope and the relationship between faith and hope. So notice in verse 1, it tells us very specifically that faith and hope have a relationship together. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But even though faith and hope have a relationship together, it's very clear that faith and hope are not the same thing. Now, Paul wrote to the church, wrote to the, the um, uh, Corinthians, trying to straighten out some things in, in their church and their um, assemblies and, and so forth. And he made a statement after um, uh, identifying the, the motivation, what should be the motivation for the way the church at Corinth operated. He said at the end of chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, he said, And now abides faith, hope, and charity or love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Well, you've got to remember he's talking in context there. He's not just making a statement out of the, pulling a statement out of the blue. The Holy Ghost is impressing upon him to talk about things that abide. And he says that those three things that abide, or uh, another translation says endure, it, it seems to indicate that these are eternal things. He's saying these are three eternal characteristics, faith, hope, and love. In other words, faith, hope, and love are all, all going to work the same way in heaven as they work here. At least they'll work in heaven similarly to what they work here. I, I guess there will be a little bit of difference because there's no material realm um, as opposed to spirit realm in, in that context. But you know just as well as I do that since the Bible says God is love, we're going to have to love each other in heaven. Better practice here. Amen. But the Bible also says that faith and, and um, hope are eternal as well. Now, it's, it's interesting to think of it. God made man to hope as a natural uh, result of him being God's creation. Everybody hopes. Everybody has hope for something. It takes, a, it takes some real serious circumstances for a real long time to take the hope, to steal the hope away from somebody. We all imagine ourselves winning in something. We all imagine ourselves getting ahead. Uh, it, it goes so far as to say, uh, say it this way. If uh, uh, you know how we all have conversations in our heads and sometimes we imagine conflict with somebody else, you never lose one of those fights in your head. You're always the one that wins. And not only do you win, you destroy the other guy in the process. And everybody sees that you win. It's a, it's a natural characteristic. It's part of the way that we're made. Now, we don't always use it in the right way. But it's the way we're, that we're made. We're made to win. We're made to dominate. Not necessarily dominate other people. That's not godly. But to dominate the circumstances of life. And as such, God built hope into us. He made man to be a hoper. I don't know if that's a good way to say it, but he made man to always have hope. And like I said, it takes some dire circumstances, it takes some extreme situations to steal that hope from you. Now, a lot of times people will, um, uh, will talk about it in different terms. Uh, for example, uh, a hope is like a dream. And I don't mean a dream like when you go to sleep and you, and you dream while you're asleep. I mean a dream as being a, a life goal or something like that. It seems to be popular in the modern day church, at least the American church, to celebrate people's dreams. 
You hear sermons on dream big, dream big, dream big. You, you even hear people say, if you want your dream bad enough, it'll happen. Well, folks, want to doesn't, make a sub, doesn't give substance to hope. You'll hear it said this way. Sometimes dream big. It's your passion that will get you through. Well, passion doesn't give substance to your dreams. Passion doesn't give substance to your hope. Only faith gives substance to your hope. So faith and hope are not the same thing. And if we don't understand the difference and the relationship that they have together, then we're going to be hopelessly stuck thinking we're in one place and when we're really in another. Now, let me give you an example. Everybody that's ever been attacked with sickness has a hope of being well. I don't care what religious training they have. You can be in a church that teaches you that healing is, is uh, of the devil, that, got, that all the healing passed away, healing power passed away with the apostles or, or whatever else you might want to hear. But when sickness attacks you, you instantly hope for wellness. You instantly hope to be restored to, to, uh, uh, to divine health, restored to health. But there's no substance to that for so many Christians. You can have a dream for being well, but what if you go to the doctor and the doctor says there's nothing that medical science can do for you? Well, one avenue of that hope being realized may be dashed, may be destroyed, but you still have hope. Everybody hopes in something. And so the person that's attacked with sickness will have hope, but there's no substance to it. Unless something comes along that gives substance to that hope, that hope will eventually die out. Proverbs chapter 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Literally, that's that, what that means is where it says makes the heart sick, it means breaks the spirit. Hope deferred will eventually break your spirit. And for so many Christians, their hope is deferred, not because God's on, uh, against them or not on their side, but because they don't know how to turn that dream, that hope, that unreality of the picture that they have or the imagination that they have, into, and, and, and give it substance what's the only thing that gives substance to hope faith it's also interesting to me that hope is the one thing that God restores so many times when people in the examples we have in scripture of when people lost their hope God appears to Abraham in, in, uh, the, in Genesis uh, 17 I guess it is he appears to um, uh, well actually he appeared to him first in Genesis chapter 12 I guess But he speaks to him and he says, follow me and I'll do three things for you. I'll make your name great. That has to do with family, has to do with children. He said, I'll bless you. That has to do with material blessing. And I'll make you a blessing, which has to do with enough, an abundance, so that he can help other people. Well, God did the first two early on. By chapter 13, Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. Abraham's servant said many years later that it was God that made him rich all along from the beginning. So God did that part first. But Abraham's holding on to the hope of having children. He's 75 years old when God first appears to him and speaks to him. Tells him he'll make his name great. Now along the way, God does some other things. On one occasion, I think this is Genesis chapter 17. On one occasion, God takes him out and shows him the stars of the sky. And he says, how many of them are there? Abraham says, there's too many to count. There's no way to know. No man could know the number of stars. And God said, so shall your seed be. That phrase, so shall your seed be. He's telling Abraham, that's going to be like your children. He's not saying you'll have as many children as the number of stars in the sky because nobody would know what that number is to be able to count up and compare. He's saying you'll have more children than than you'll be able to count or keep up with. So that was something that added to Abraham's hope. He first had hope to be a father when God said he'd make his name great. Now God adds to his hope 
And each time this happens, his picture gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But time goes by. By the time he's about 100 years old, he's not hoping anymore. God appears to him and says, Abraham, I've called you to be the father of nations. And Abraham says, yeah, well, you know, uh, Ishmael that I had by the, the little handmaiden, my wife's handmaid, just bless him. What's happened? He's lost hope. He's lost the picture of what God intended for him to have. Now, folks, I want you to get this. God intended for him to have a certain picture in mind. He didn't leave it up to Abraham to create his own picture. In other words, Abraham's hope came from God, not something he developed on his own. Are you out there? But Abraham lost sight of that picture. It's been too long. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. His spirit had been broken in that area. He still believes that God's good. He still believes God does miracles and does wonderful things. And he could look back in his history and his experience of walking with God. And he knows how good God's been. But he thinks, because I'm too old, speaking from Abraham, first person, because I'm too old, it can't happen anymore. So his hope, the picture that he got from God, was changed because of what he saw in himself. The circumstances that he saw concerning his body. His body's not working sexually anymore. So he must logically assume if my body's not able to, to, uh, uh, to function sexually, neither is Sarah's, then how can we possibly have a child? What he didn't count on is that God's bigger than the circumstances in his body. In other words, his hope was dashed, just like so many Christians' hope is dashed where healing is concerned because of wrong teaching, which creates wrong thinking. His wrong thinking caused him to lose hope. So what did God do? God restored his hope and said, this time next year, you'll have that son that I promised you 25 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, everything about Abraham changes. His hope is restored. He gets the same picture that he had before. Now he's got a picture of one child that's going to become a multitude. That star's in the sky. It's going to come from one. It has to start with somebody, doesn't it? So he's got that picture restored. God has to do the same thing with Sarah. He appears to him again just a few months later. Sarah laughs when she hears him say something about the baby being born. She laughs and Abraham calls her on and says, what did you laugh for? She said, I didn't laugh. And he said, God said you laughed, so you laughed. That's not a matter of, well, maybe he was mistaken. No, what he says is good. He said you laughed. So she gets back over in faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11. She gets over in faith. They both receive strength. She receives strength to conceive. He receives strength in his body to function sexually again. And they have that child. Hope is based, your your hope in God at least, is based on what the word says you can have. But it still takes more than one to. I don't think Abraham wanted Isaac anymore when he was 100 years old than when he was 75. It wasn't his want to that changed. What changed? Well, we certainly see that he got back over into faith at the point that he had left it and departed from it when he was 99. He had to re- God had to restore his hope and give him something that would create the, recreate that dream in his heart so that he could give substance to it. Same thing happened in Jeremiah chapter 29 when it tells about Israel being carried off. This is the same story of, uh, um, uh, that some of the other Old Testament writers tell about when uh, Babylon came and took over Israel because of their um, uh, sin and disobedience and there were people that were rising up and prophesying saying don't worry God's on our side God's going to destroy our enemies and set us free but God speaks to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 and he says stay put 
These people that are, well, this isn't verse 11, but earlier in the chapter, he said these people that are prophesying that God's going to come down and, and, uh, and wipe out your enemies, which you've got to admit is pretty good hope. I mean, I have a hope whenever I'm faced with an enemy. I have a hope that God destroys my enemies. Don't you? We've even got scriptures that says God will destroy your enemies. But their enemies were oppressing them because of their own actions, their own disobedience, their own wrongdoings. And so God speaks to Jeremiah and says, don't listen to those false prophets that are telling you that I'm going to come deliver you. Don't listen to them that tells you that you need to rebel and get out and go back immediately to your own land and fight against them again. Because that's not the way it's going to work. He says, stay here. I will deliver you, but it's 70 years away. So he says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, he said, For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to give you hope in a future. King James says expected in, but most translations talk about hope in a future. In other words, he's saying you can have hope and you can have a hope for your future even while you're here in this strange land because I will turn you loose and I will deliver you at some point down the road. So what is he doing? He's trying to give them hope. But in giving them hope, he's trying to stop them from making a mistake. In other words, you can have your hope in the wrong thing. Are you out there? You can have your hope in the wrong thing, folks. What is your hope established in? Well, the Bible says Jesus is the hope of our soul. He's the anchor of our soul and he's our hope. How is he our hope? See, hope is always about something that's going to happen. It's about something that hasn't gotten gained or substance yet. So when he talks about Jesus being our hope, when Paul speaks of Jesus being our hope, he can't be talking about who Jesus is for us now. Folks, I don't have hope of a Savior. I have a Savior. How about you? I don't have hope for righteousness. I have righteousness now. I don't have hope that God's going to deliver me. I have deliverance now. Do you see what I'm talking about? Well, what promise or what instruction or what information do we have about Jesus that has not yet come to pass? Well, the rapture is one. Spending eternity with him in heaven is another. We have hope for those things. That's the picture that I have of the future. Is spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. How about you? Well, that's the hope that anchors our soul. But that doesn't mean we don't have something that we can hang on to now. It doesn't mean that we ha- don't have something that we can uh, partake in and walk in now. It doesn't mean that we're powerless here in the here and now. It just means that there's a work of God that's told us, that's in, given to us uh, by the instruction of the Holy Ghost that hasn't yet come to pass. Now, I don't know about you, but I take that very seriously. I believe in the rapture. Now, this is one of those things where I don't think it's a matter of faith, although it is good to believe everything that God told us. I don't think just the people that are believing in the rapture are going to make it. That's not the way I see the scripture. I interpret the scripture as Jesus coming back for his church, not Jesus coming back for those that believe in the rapture. There are a lot of people going to be caught up into heaven saying, man, I didn't think this was going to happen. But they're going to be super glad that it did. Amen. There's not going to be any theological discussions as we're caught up in the air. So what is he the hope of? He's the hope of things that haven't yet come to pass. But we have by faith the things that have come to pass. We have by faith the things that he's already accomplished. In other words, it takes faith. It takes something outside of hope to bring it into the here and now. So many times you hear people talking about, well, I just believe God's going to heal me someday. They think that's faith. But it's not. 
It's hope. Because faith says, it's mine, I have it now. Faith always ends in the glad confession, it's mine, I have it now. What they have is something without substance. God's going to someday. Well, what day? What they don't understand is the very thing that they're saying, the confession that they're making, pushes their healing away from them rather than draws it to them. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith says it's mine, I have it now. I may not see it yet, but it's mine, I have it now. It's the evidence of what I don't see. But hope has no evidence of the unseen. Hope always is the unseen. Someday, someday, someday. And it keeps pushing it further and further and further away from you. Now let me tell you something else about hope. When I uh, worked with Brother Hagen, we had occasion uh, because of the nature of his ministry and the way that he taught faith and, and uh, the, the, the door of utterance that the Lord opened to him. He was able to speak to people through uh, not only in person but uh, through media, tapes and books and stuff like that, especially books. His books went everywhere. I mean, his books would be um, carried undercover in denominational churches and, and people would guard them with their lives, don't tell the pastor type stuff. And, you know, people would try to, you know, get a hold of, of uh, teachings that, that they knew that their church wouldn't agree with. Well, consequently, there would be a lot of people that would have heard Brother Hagin for the first time or read a book for the first time on faith or something like that. And, uh, and, and as most of us were, when we first heard the message of faith, we were in a mess. And so you get, uh, from time to time, there'd be people that would contact the ministry, and, and we'd uh, hear about the stories, and, and uh, sometimes they'd come through us on crusades or whatever, and, uh, and, and people would step out on, on, uh, on what they believed Brother Hagin was preaching about the subject of faith, and they'd get themselves in trouble, and now they'd try to run to the ministry, run to Brother Hagin's ministry to, to get information, what do I do now? I remember one story that, uh, that happened while I was there. There was a guy that... Uh, uh, he was in a Baptist church, and somehow or another, he got a hold of one of Brother Hagin's books on faith. And so, uh, so he saw that, and he saw that the Bible says that you can have what you say. So he just said, "Well, all right, I need a van. I need a new van, and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start saying that I've got a new van." And he said, "Since I'm believing God for it anyway, I'm going to put in my order from uh, for the van from the the dealer, the car, you know the." Uh, um, Oh, you know what I'm trying to say. The automobile dealer, whatever the name of those stores are called. Um, he said, I'm going to have to order it anyway, so I might as well just load it up with everything. Well, the car came in. Auto dealership notified him that the car was there and he needed to come down and pay for it. He didn't have a dime, so he contacted the ministry and said, what am I going to do? Like it's Brother Hagen's fault. Like Brother Hagin placed the order against his will or something, you know. And so the person doing the talking to him uh, asked some questions, found, asked a couple of questions. Well, how long have you uh, been in this faith walk? Well, just a month or two. Well, how many of Brother Hagin's books and tapes have you read? One book. Never heard him on tape. And so people hear these things and they jump out there. Now, they, he has a hope for a van. There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't have anything to give his substance. He's got a dream for something that he, need, that he wants or even needs. But here's the thing that, about this. In all the stories that I heard where people got themselves in trouble and now they're, they're looking for help. What do I do? And the deadline's up and I've been making my confession. What do I do now? Without exception. Without exception. Those were not people that were working on things, just basic needs. They were always things where people wanted something. 
It's almost like they had a gambler mentality about it. Folks, faith is not where God covers your bet. A lot of people seem to think that faith is betting big and watching God come through. It's like they're gamblers already and so they go all in. They just bet it all. I've heard people refer to it as my ship is coming in. Well, folks, if you don't have some scripture that that identifies what it is that you're looking for, there's no ship coming. But what they're doing is they're operating on hope. They've got a hope that we hit it big. They've got a hope that everything works out right. They've got a hope that some miraculous thing works out because, after all, God's the God of miracles. And they'll, they can talk you out of it. They can, they can talk their way into justifying their position. Well, God's a God of miracles. Nothing's too big for God. And every time you get somebody with that mentality, that gambler, that roll-the-dice mentality, and every time they're left out there on their own. And the reason for it is because they don't have any scripture that they can point to that gives substance to the dream or the hope that they have. So it all comes down to this. Find scripture that promises you what you want from God. Don't just look for scripture that gives you hope. The Bible says God's more than enough. Man, that gives me a big picture of having plenty. But I can't operate just on that big picture of having plenty. I've got to have something that gives substance to to that picture. Well, where do you start with that? Well, if it's finances, you start with my God shall supply all of your needs. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, everybody ought to be able to believe for their needs because the Bible says specifically that that's what God will do. But you can start getting out beyond needs into wants. And that takes a different measure. That takes a different type of faith because you don't have a specific scripture that says God will give you everything that you want. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, doesn't the Bible say in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, therefore I say, what things soever you desire, desires or wants, aren't they? Yeah. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Yeah, it does say that. But you don't have a specific identification scripture that says what wants includes. I can tell you this from experience, folks. Faith does not mean you can have everything you set your beady little eyes on. A lot of people think faith means God's just going to pay all my bills, so I might as well go ahead and run up my credit card because the money's on the way. I have yet to see a waster, somebody with a wasteful attitude, a wasteful manner of life, receive anything by faith. Because God's not a waster. That's contrary, and, and, that's contrary to the character and the nature of God. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he told the disciples to gather up the fragments. God doesn't waste anything. I'm not so sure God's on our side when we waste anything either. Now, there are things that happen. I know in ministry we've wasted, you know, no telling how much money, but it's been inadvertent. I know that we've given money to certain missionaries that has been a waste of an investment. But, But our heart was in the right place. We were trying to do the right thing. But if it becomes a way of life, it becomes uh, an attitude that, well, there's always going to be more. You know, I see some people operating in what they call faith doing it this way. Brother Hagin used to talk about it back in the healing revival. He said you'd always have people that were raising money to get into a new office complex or a new office building or build some kind of new structure for their, their office or ministry or something like that. He said they'd raise the money and build it, and two months later or, two, uh, you know, maybe a year later, they were out of it and had lost it because they couldn't pay for it, and now they're on to something else. He, I remember him saying, he said, I'm just, I just decided I wasn't going to live my life and operate my ministry that way. He said, if it meant that I took small steps, 
baby steps along the way where everybody else looks like they're running and doing bigger things. He said, I was just going to do things right, take it little by little, build line upon line, precept upon precept. Folks, that's a successful way. That's the way it really works. This idea of shoot the moon and call it faith. That's not faith. Fred Price used to have a great teaching that he'd do from time to time called faith, foolishness, or presumption. There's a lot of people that are in foolishness and presumption that think they're in faith. They would declare themselves to be in faith. But it all comes down to the scripture. It all comes down to what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Find specific scripture that tells you what belongs to you. That covers your case. Now God doesn't have a problem with you having a new van. God doesn't have a problem with you having a van that's loaded up with whatever options you need on it. Or want on it. He doesn't have a problem with any of that. But nobody starts there. Nobody starts there. You gain that through experience walking with God and finding out that God wants you to have more or God wants this for you or whatever. But you start off with your needs being met. So many times people want to take on these big projects. Sometimes people just can't say no. I've seen people become surety or or guarantors. Co-signers and things like that for people. And they say, well, I'm believing God for money anyway. I'll just believe for a little bit more. Well, that's foolishness. The Bible says if you find yourself in a co-signing situation, you've, you've given your word to guarantee somebody. It says to go deliver yourself like a, a, a trying to escape from a trap. Well, we're just going to ignore that, Pastor Mike, and just believe God. Well, good luck, dummy. That's not going to work. You can't violate the word and you can't violate the character and the nature of God and expect faith to cover it. Faith is not God covering your bets. Well, what is it then? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So many times people talk about blind faith. I don't think there's any such thing. Faith is not blind. If there's one thing faith is not, it's blind. Faith may be ignorant about some things. There are a lot of things I'm believing for that I'm ignorant, meaning I have no idea how it's going to work. But I've got a clear picture of the fact that it will work because the Bible says so. So faith doesn't mean you know everything, but faith is never blind. Because faith always has the foundation of here's what the word says belongs to me. Therefore, I believe. Now, reading after others, it seems that, uh, that faith is called different things or is described in different ways by different people. For example, uh, some people talk about head faith versus heart faith. Uh, E.W. Kenyon talked about sense knowledge faith. Um, people talk about having faith in natural things. For example, we talk about having faith in loved ones. I think that's a misnomer. I know we use the words faith and confidence kind of interchangeably. And some translations do that. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Moffat's translation says, Faith means we're confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we can't see. Well, that's a great translation. I really like that translation. But faith and confidence are really not the same thing. Because faith deals with the unseen. We talk about having faith in our loved ones. Well, we really don't have faith in our loved ones. We have experience with our loved ones and it's caused us to develop an attitude toward them. But faith is the unseen. Faith is something that you wouldn't know. Now, you might have a hope 
where your loved one is concerned. You might have a hope that your husband or wife, if they're ever tempted to, to uh, be unfaithful, that they would turn down that, that temptation. So you may have a hope for that, but you can't really have faith for it. Because you can't find a scripture. See, faith is something that belongs to the spirit realm. Faith is something that belongs to the Bible, not the world. And so where the world talks about faith, they mean something totally different than what the Bible talks about when it speaks of faith. We may have confidence in certain things. We may have hope in certain things. But faith is something that comes only by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't have faith in the faithfulness of your loved one just because they say that they'll always be faithful. You can hope that that's true. But without experience, you can't really gain that confidence. And how many times have we seen uh, marriages that have been destroyed because one person was confident, but their confidence was misplaced? But there are some things that you can have faith for where your loved ones are concerned. Now, let's take kids, for example. You can have confidence that your children will come back to the Lord. Even though they have a will involved, you can have confidence that they'll come back to the Lord if you put the right thing in them and you're praying the right things over them. Now, what's your confidence in? Is your confidence in them making the right decisions? Your experience with them may be them making the wrong decisions only. So you can't really say you have faith in them, can you? No, but you can have faith in God. You can have faith that God is working on their hearts. Knowing what it takes to reach them and to turn them around. You can have faith that the name of Jesus is greater than the devil's desire and work in their lives to destroy God's plan for them. So in that you can have faith, but you're not really having faith in them. You're still having faith in God. I don't think there's anything that you can have faith in other than God. Now you can have confidence in natural things. There are are a lot of different ways we can use confidence. But I'm making a distinction between the word confidence and the word faith. Faith belongs to the things of God. Faith belongs to the things of God. If you talk about head faith versus heart faith or sense knowledge faith versus Bible faith, those are some terms that are sometimes used and used oftentimes in books, well-known books. I, I'm not throwing rocks at the people that have coined the terms. I, I don't care what they call them. But the more I think about it, head faith is just mental assent. There's no faith there. Head faith is just some acknowledgement that, that the Word of God says something. It may be a further acknowledgement that God can't lie. But that does not give substance to things hoped for. So it's not really faith. It's not even a form of faith. Do you see the point I'm trying to make? So when the Bible talks about faith, I don't know what it does for you, but it helps me to realize faith is only involved with the things of God are concerned. There's not one thing in this natural life that I have faith in. There's a lot of things I have experience in, and because of my experience, I gain a certain amount of physical or or, uh, material confidence in it, but it's not faith. Now, I have hope for a lot of things. Hope works in the material realm in every way. I hope that the politicians do the right thing, but I sure don't have faith for it. I hope that my loved ones do the right thing, but I may not have faith for that either. And in fact, it strengthens me to know that if somebody that I'm counting on or have confidence in doesn't do the right thing, it doesn't change me because it doesn't change God. Are you listening? Do you see the point I'm trying to make? Now, in that context, it says now faith. Bible faith, the only thing that that faith relates to in, in our conversation this evening, 
I'm describing something that relates to only the things of God. The things of God and the things of God only. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, the only way that faith can ever be produced is hearing what God has to say about it. Which is the very reason that so many people are not in faith because they haven't heard what God said about it. Which explains why so many people are in hope. They're looking for God to do something down the road sometime, some way. But without a knowledge of what the Bible says God has done or has made available to you. There's no possible way that they can be in faith. I'm not trying to be confusing. I, I hope this is, is clear of what I'm trying to get across. Do you understand what I'm saying? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's the only way faith can come. Faith can't come by experience. Faith comes by hearing. Now experience can add to your faith. but That's not the way it comes. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. In the same way that God gives you hope, he gives you something that makes it present tense or adds substance to that hope and makes it a reality. Because faith is always dealing with the unseen. Well, if faith is always dealing with the unseen, then faith can't be a part of this material world. Because everything in this material world is seen, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay, I'm not sure where you are. Have I totally confused you? Are you following me? Well, if faith is the evidence of things not seen, then faith can't be associated with the material realm. Well, what's the unseen realm? It's the spirit realm. It's the realm of God. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. That means if you're not uh, acknowledging And actively confessing something you can't see. You're not in faith about something. Now you might be in hope. You might be in hope that something's going to work out. You may have started in faith and lost your faith because of the delay. Which folks is the biggest tactic the enemy has. That's why faith doesn't work instantly. Because the devil knows that the longer he can delay something, the longer he can put it off, the longer he can tempt you with the idea that it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, then the easier it is for people to turn loose. Hope deferred breaks the spirit, literally. So what do we do? We keep our hope alive through our confession. We remind ourselves of what the word says over and over and over again. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I am healed. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. So prosperity provision belongs to me now. Jesus paid the price for it. That's why it's so important to say what God says. Because the more you say what God's word says, the more you acknowledge and actively determined determinedly speak what the word of god says has been done the more your faith will grow and grow and grow so much so that you'll be more sure of the word before you see it than after the answer comes there have been answers i've gotten to my faith that i was almost disappointed because now i got to quit confessing for it Folks, I I firmly believe 
There, there have been a lot of things that the Lord has been dealing with me about over the last several years about the trial of your faith being more precious than gold. Believing for the answer is better than having the answer. Now, we don't think like that, do we? We think, oh, I can't wait to quit believing for this answer because I have the answer in front of me. But the Bible says that the trial of your faith, the holding fast your confession to the things that you can't see is better than having the things that you can't see in physical reality. When you understand that, it's easy to count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, as James said. Because now you're not in such a hurry to have something pass through and get to you. Now you realize that the journey is the issue. Now we all have moments. We all have when the devil comes and says, well, if it's going to work, it would have worked by now. We all have days when we're less inclined to, to, uh, uh, to, to have feelings of strength or a sense of strength about us. And we get down in the mouth and we think, oh, how long is this going to be? But that's the point to turn it around and say, wait a minute. This is the best time of my life. How many of us waste where we are trying to get to somewhere that we find out later on isn't so great after all? Today's the best day of your life. Well, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand because I'm believing for this, this, and this. That's why it's the best day of your life. Because believing for something is even better than having the something. Notice Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith means giving substance to the things you hope for, holding fast to what God's word says to cause that dream to come into reality. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Without the evidence of things not seen, you can't please God. Do you realize that if you're, let's say finances is what you're believing for. Do you realize that believing for finances, it's easier to please God while you're believing for them than after you have them? You are more pleasing to God while you're confessing for the finances according to the word of God that you need or that you have hope for than even when the money is there. Well, that's a new way of looking at things, isn't it? We all want to get through this trial of faith so that we can have the thing that we want. Hebrews eleven six goes further and says, because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Of them that diligently seek him. What does he say? He's a rewarder. Of them that have everything that they want. He's a rewarder of those that bet big. He's a rewarder of those that go all in. No. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now the reality is this. As we grow in faith and add experience to our faith. So that we go through these trials of faith. And then receive the answer. And remember, the Bible says there's great recompense or reward. Hold fast the profession of your faith, for he's faithful that promised. Don't turn loose the confession of your faith because there's a great recompense or reward. In other words, what you're believing for will come to pass. That's the way God wants it to be. But I've seen so many times where people were closer to God while they were believing for something than after they had it. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. You can learn. You can develop patience so that you realize and kind of see the big picture, see how things are supposed to work so that when the answer comes, 
You'll already be on to something else, believing God for something else. And you can stay as close to him while you have the thing that you desired. As you were when you were believing for it. But that's a part of spiritual growth too. So many times I've seen people that were so, so close to God. And then their ship came in, so to speak. What they were believing for came in. You don't see them at church as much anymore. They're not reading their Bible. They're not praying as much anymore. They're not as dedicated as they were. Why? Because they got comfortable. One thing about being, having your faith tried, there's no comfort zone there, is there? Now, some people will hear this and they'll say, well, does that mean, Pastor Mike, does that mean that God wants to bring these troubles to you because he wants you to stay close to him? No, he wants you to stay close to him no matter what. But there are so many things that I've gone through in my life, this thing with the church building program, the five years of of just scraping by one day after the next. Where the Bible says the trial of your faith is more precious than gold, I wouldn't take any amount of money for that experience that I gained. But I wouldn't pay any amount of money to go through it again. That's an experience that I gained. It was tough. It was hard, man. There were days that I was wondering what is going going on here. Lord, are you, have you left me completely? There were days where I felt like he was a million miles away, even though he never left me or forsook me. But it doesn't mean your feelings are always there. There were days where the devil was screaming at me 24 hours a day. Nights that I couldn't sleep because the devil's screaming in my ear. It's not going to work and everybody's going down with you. You've not only destroyed yourself, you've destroyed the church God gave you. You're going to be the laughing stock of everybody in the country. Maybe around the world. But boy, having come through it, I wouldn't give anything for it. Wouldn't take anything to have missed it. You couldn't pay me enough to get that experience from me. It's more precious to me than gold. It's more precious to me than anything you could give me. Any amount of money. That's what that's talking about. The experience that we gain with God. The experience that we gain that our words come to pass when we speak what God's word says. That becomes more valuable to us than anything else on the earth. Even more valuable than the thing that we were believing for to begin with. You know, it was, it was a real big, real big test, real big... Uh, struggle for us and we had specific monetary numbers in mind the numbers mean nothing now now that the answer has come now that the, the the bills were paid and stuff like that the numbers mean nothing to me now but the experience means everything even the way it happened i wouldn't have wished the way it happened on anybody in any church in any situation in the world we lost 60 percent of our people i love those 60 percent of those people I love those people that left. Good friends left. But you know what I learned? I learned God didn't leave. I learned if God's with you, it doesn't matter if everybody else does leave. I wouldn't take anything for that experience. There's so many things that I learned out of that experience. Do you hear what I'm saying? The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. Folks, how many of you are believing God for something you haven't seen yet? This is the best day of your life. This is the best day of your life. Because you've got a guarantee from God that things will change. You will have what you say. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. You've got a guarantee. The devil will tell you it won't work. What does he know? 
You know, I, I'm in a situation where I've been believing God for my healing, and, and there's some things that the Lord's been teaching me about, uh, about faith and some of the things I'm sharing with you. Some things I probably never will get to because I'm going to live them out first before I, before I ever preach them. But the devil will sometimes tip his hand. You know what the devil's tempting me with and talking to me about now? He's talking to me about bringing it back on me the second time. You know what that means? That means he knows I've got it. I don't see it yet, but he knows I've got it. He's trying to talk to me about being afraid that it'll come back. Yeah, you may get your healing. You may testify about how good God is, but it's going to come back. Well, you idiot. But even the devil knows. It's interesting how that Jesus answered the devil and it said he left him. He departed from him for a season. The devil can't stand in the face of faith. He'll hang around for a little while trying to talk you out of it. But once he sees where you are, once he sees you've got it, once he sees you're solid, he can't handle it. You just keep confessing the word in his face. He keeps telling you, well, how do you feel? Don't look any better. You don't feel any better. You just keep confessing the word right in his face. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I am healed. Sooner or later he runs off. The trial of your faith is really a test between you and the devil. Who's going to give up first? I've made the determination. I will never give up. I will never give up. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Pastor Mike, what evidence do you have that you're healed? Just the Bible. That's it. Well, haven't you seen any improvement? Is it getting better? Just the Bible. According to the word of God, I'm healed. What would it matter if I felt better or seemed better one week? Could change the next week. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do you hope for? What's your dream? I don't care how much passion you've got for it. Passion means nothing. Faith means everything. It doesn't say without passion it's impossible to please God. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is everything. I don't care what kind of passion you've got. I know some people that they're the most passionate people in the world, and you wonder if they're even saved. I mean, they're just bouncing off the wall with passion and energy. Well, that's not what pleases God. Faith pleases God. It's not about the size of your dream. It's how real your dream is. And faith is the only thing that brings it into reality. Are you out there? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the privilege to walk by faith. Lord, we feel sorry for people that have always had it easy in their lives because they've never learned the value of putting your word to work. We feel sorry for people that have never had the opportunity to put their faith to work because they've never seen the value and the preciousness of your word. Father, we say even as David said that your words are more precious than gold to us. We say, even as David said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Thank you, Father, that your word is true every time and in every situation. We thank you, Father, that because we believe 
what your word says. We have what we say. We thank you, Father, that our answer is on the way to us because of our faith, because of our confession. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.